0: Hey, Aspire listeners, I'm so excited for this episode for many reasons. One, because I get to speak to an amazing leader, but someone also who is a author and podcaster who is a part of the Teach Better Podcast Network. I have today Charles Williams, and he's been an educator for more than 15 years. He served as a teacher, an assistant principal, a principal, so he's had many roles with urban students in grades K-12, through 12, and he's also served as an equity advocate and that's really what we're gonna talk about today as he's had an opportunity to work in the Chicago Public Schools Office of Equity. Charles is the host of the Counter-Narrative Podcast, so we're gonna talk a little bit about that, but the main thing is, is that we're gonna talk about you know, all of the amazing things that he's done in his school, how to become a leader, and of course, how we can assess our equity practices within our campus and our district. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the leadership development podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Giles, thank you so much for being on the Aspire podcast.
1: Josh, uh, you know, thank you for having me. You know, I really appreciate just giving me the time, the space to uh, to talk about education. It's one of my favorite things to do.
0: Oh, my pleasure. I always enjoy speaking with you, Charles. And I'm excited to learn a little bit about your story, too. And I know myself and the listeners would really enjoy hearing about your educational and leadership journey.
1: Yeah, so um, it, it's not a traditional journey. You know, I, I always tell people when they ask, like, I think a lot of times they, they want to hear that inspirational story. You know, I, I grew up always wanting to be in education. And I mean, even my, my undergrad was not in education. Uh, I, I fell into it. And really, out of uh, necessity, right? I was a young single father of my daughters and I had two jobs lined up right outside of school. Um, one was working as a PR person for a casino, which was a a new job. It was a six month temp. They're gonna see how it went, which meant it ended in December, right before Christmas. And you know, I was like, well, I can't ha- not have a job right before Christmas. The other one was with my school district where I grew up. And so I went with the thing that I knew was going to be there. And so, I mean, it's not glamorous, but that's how I ended up in education. Yeah. And I absolutely fell in love with it. My grandmother for years before I, at that point kept telling me, you're going to be an education, you're going to be an education. Nope, nope, no, I'm not. And sure enough, when I was there, she's like, kind of like I told you. So <laughs> yes, yeah, so why and then I held up about every single role teacher, uh, mentor, teacher, assistant principal, and none of it was traditional. I, I became a mentor teacher. I think I was like my third or fourth year in. So I was brand new. Uh, most of the teachers I was mentoring uh, were teaching longer than I had been alive. So that was that was interesting. My My assistant principal actually got sick. So I filled in the role while she was out and then she just never came back. So I became the assistant principal. And then the following year, my principal left and they were like, we want you to be the principal. I was like, guys, this is not how it's supposed to work. Like <laughs> I'm supposed to have time and, you know, but it, I mean, apparently something worked out because here I am spending a little over 15 years. I believe this is your number 16 now. Um, with about eight of those, I think I'm in year eight of my administration. So I'm at like that halfway point. I think this year marks like half teaching, half an administration. And so next year, you know, it kind of tips over. Um, and then I'll forget what it's like to be in a classroom. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So I, I'm now a principal in Chicago at my school, the school I'm at now. This is year number six for me on the very, very far west side of Chicago. And, um, you know, just I, to be honest, I can't think of a job I'd, I'd rather have. There are days I can think of other jobs, well, sure. but for the, for the most part, like this is what I love doing and I love my staff. I love my students. I love my families and it is great. And I can't wait to see where it's going to go from here.
0: So William, I want to know, as a principal, just within the last couple of years, what does that look like for you as a building principal? And what are some things that you've experienced or learned that is going to make you a better leader?
1: So, you know, I, I think when I first started, I, I was really big into proving myself, mm-hmm. right? Like I mentioned, I, I I moved quickly. And so, you know, when you're an administrator and you're 30, right, you feel like I have to prove myself. And Every day I was going into work. That's what I was doing. I was like, I have to prove that I belong here. I have to prove that I belong here. Instead of ever really becoming comfortable with who I was, I was always trying to prove. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the conversations I've had with my colleague and mentor, Michael McWilliams, is he talks about knowing who you are, your purpose, your why. And I was never really able to establish that because I kept chasing this, I guess, goal, right? That I created. About how I could prove myself to everybody around me. Eventually, I think, at least for me, when the pandemic hit, it allowed me to fall into that. Right. Because it allowed me as assessments were suspended, as ratings, school ratings, and all of these things were suspended. It really allowed me to say, let's do those things that I've always talked about, right? Without concern. Like if it doesn't work, it's not like we're being rated this year. It's okay. And I would say over the last two three years, I've become extremely comfortable with the leader that I am now, right? And that is kind of what we I talk about all over the place. It, mm-hmm. It's focusing on the people in your building. It's focusing, you know, on equitable solutions. It, it's just doing those things that I think are the most important, and they have paid dividends during this struggle. And so, to be honest, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm assuming at some point. <laughs> I would have figured this out, uh, but had the pandemic not happened when it did, I don't know when that would have kicked in. Mm-hmm. You know, I maybe I needed a few more gray hairs, or you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know what would have been the the catalyst, but um, that is definitely something that has come out of it, and I think it has changed, and and for all the better.
0: So, Charles, you brought up equitable practices. I know that's something that you're really passionate about as a mm-hmm. school leader, and I'm curious on when you started to focus on that aspect within your schools and then also what did it lead to in your leadership journey?
1: There's kind of two pathways, right, that, that converge into this. So the first one is that I was an amazing student when I was in school and it's not to brag. I just was, but I wasn't better than anybody else. I fit the system. Sure. That's really what it was. You know, I, I could read something. I memorized it. You could say something to me. I memorized that. I knew how to regurgitate that and sounded great doing it. So I I was great. Right. I knew how to sit and behave myself. Right. I didn't. Right. I I fell in line. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't understand why, I guess, like I had peers, my brother, I I, I talk about them a lot, that they were intelligent in their own ways, but they didn't fit the system. And because they didn't fit, those intelligences were never captured and they were deemed average or subpar. And I remember when I became a teacher, I was like, that's not cool. Like, I never want any of my students to feel that way because they all have talents and gifts. At the time, I didn't realize it was called equity. I just knew that it was wrong to to say, well, sorry, you don't fit, so you don't count. Right. So that, that, that was that one pathway. As I spent more and more time in education and I spent the entirety of this in urban education, I really got tired of hearing the same conversations over and over and over again, right? That... It's this group of students, it's their fault they're never going to amount to anything. This is what, like, if we could somehow figure out how to exclude them, right, then maybe our test scores would be better. Or maybe, like, it it just, there's a lot of finger pointing, a lot of blame. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know where I've heard this, but there's that that phrase, right, that if you can, if it's predictable, it's preventable. And I just got really, really tired of, of hearing these negative stories about these groups. And I said, you know what, there's reasons behind that. Instead of pointing the blame at them, let's figure out how to fix the situations that they find themselves in, so we're not continuing, you know, this this predictive behavior. Um, and, and that's really when I started getting into this equity work because the truth is, growing up, it was there on the fringes of my experiences. Um, you know, I, I talk about this whole story about being raised by my white grandfather and my grandmother, and so they shielded me from a lot of things that I didn't quite understand until I got older. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's right. Like, I didn't understand why was that guy following me around the store, right. but it didn't bother me. Right. Like, you know, I, I, I didn't understand many of those things, but the truth is that it was there. And so I think those two roads converged. And I've said, you know, if we're going to be in education and we're talking about, right. I don't know about you or anybody else while you're in education, but we're there to educate our students, and we have to do everything that we can to make sure that that happens and that that means dismantling the system that doesn't support the educational experiences of our students and that's what it means Mm -hmm. right in some cases you don't have to worry about that and fine if that's the route you're on if that's the then that's okay but i know what i'm doing that is what i need to do equity has become a foundation at a cornerstone of the work that i'm doing And I have poured myself into it. Uh, I I sit on the equity team for Chicago Public Schools. I do equity work with the city of Chicago because, again, to me, it's more than just a hashtag. It's really easy, right? Like, all students matter, hashtag equity or whatever. (laughs) Like, like, that's fine that you believe it, but what are you doing about it? And, And so that has become my mission to do everything that I can possibly can to make sure that my students, as well as any students that I influence, have those equitable experiences and it's gone beyond just, you know, a race thing. Um, you know, with the, the, the podcast that I do, like I'm realizing in, in just in my own, uh, experiences, right. You have there, there's socioeconomic issues, there's gender, there, there's sexual orientation. And the more work I do, the more I realize there are these different groups, but we need to make sure that all of them have the same access to successful, you know, experiences and, that, that, and that's just what I do. And so the, the more I dive into it, the more, the more fired up I get. And I'm like, let's,
0: let's just do this work. So you make a lot of great points there. And I, I can assure you that someone listening is, is saying, yes, I completely agree with you, Charles. And I want to do something about it on my campus. What are some things that they can do to at least start with their equity practices on their campus to make sure that every student is feeling like not only they belong, but they're gonna be able to be successful and not just stuck in a box.
1: So, you know, Josh, I I get this question a lot. And so the very first thing I talk about is you have to be reflective. Mm -hmm. You have to understand who you are and how you show up in spaces. Uh, We all have these biases that we carry around with us. And, And there's nothing wrong with that. You have to say, yes i carry these acknowledge them and figure out how do we address them right because the moment that you say well i'm i don't have any bias like you're already behind right like you have to recognize that and so that's the first step is figuring out who you are and how do you show up in those spaces uh the other thing is to create what i i like to talk about having safe spaces for brave conversations Hmm. so that way you can go into those brave spaces right so finding individuals who are willing to support you along that journey. I know in in my the work that I do there's a lot of people who say it is not my job to teach you about my experiences. It is not my job. And and that's fine. It's nobody should be required to. But my thing is if you're interested, if you're truly like genuinely interested in growing and becoming better, then find somebody who's willing to take you along on that journey. So that way that you can learn and figure it out, because the truth is it's going to be messy and you're going to make mistakes. So having somebody in that space, like just for example, the other day I was doing a holiday special and I had Shavo Franco on, and she was talking about like Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. And we were able to ask some genuine conversations because I really don't know anybody who's Jewish. And so I was like, Hey, what about this? What about that? What about this? Because if I don't understand that, if I don't recognize that, I don't know, I'm going to say some pretty ignorant things and do some pretty ignorant things and cause some situations. And so having those safe spaces that have those brave conversations to be transparent and vulnerable, that's key. So finding those uh, those groups within your school. And, and I think the last part in this, there's, there's many, right? Yes. But I think the last thing that I want to talk about is the idea of understanding that it's not going to be easy i think a lot of times and we saw this like with george floyd and like black like everybody jumps on board and it's really it feels really good when everybody's agreeing with you but when that 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 fire simmers right when when, when that that uh momentum dies and you're left with the, the the true warriors that's when it becomes really, really challenging because you have to be ready to stand your ground because you're gonna be challenged. Mm -hmm. And if you're willing to do the work, if you're saying, I'm gonna show up for my students, be ready to be challenged. And I don't just mean by that clearly bigoted teacher down the hallway that everybody tries to avoid, but maybe it's your neighbor. Your neighbor, and and I'm speaking from experience here, maybe it's that neighbor who's like, yeah, you know what? We, We need to make sure that black and brown students are supported but I don't know about this whole LGBTQ thing." Mm-hmm. you're like, what, what do you mean? Right? Like, no, 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 like, that, that's not cool. Like, you know, those are lifestyle choices. Like, wait, what? And so, but if you're gonna sit there and say, no, I, I believe in supporting my students, you have to make sure that you're ready to stand your ground when that happens, because it's going to happen. And I'll be honest, it, it's been happening a lot for me lately, even with some of my own teachers. Right. And I tell them, look, when you said we believe in all students being successful, you don't get to pick and choose. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what equity is about. And so if you're telling me that, yeah, I believe that black and brown students deserve equal rights and opportunities and things like that. But if you don't identify identify as a cisgender norm, you know, all of the "Eh," then I then I don't agree with you. Like then then what you're doing is an equity work. You're picking and choosing. Right. And so that that'll be the last piece there because I'll be honest, Josh, and it's one of the most challenging because you think all those people are your friends and they support you, and then they say, "Well, why are you doing this?" Or I disagree with you, mm-hmm. and it's really easy to be like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 right?" Fall in, but the moment you do that, like you're turning your back, and you got to realize that like it's a like daily daily struggle. It's a daily commitment. It's a daily reminder. It's not, you don't wake up and say, I'm going to be an equity warrior. And it's like you wear a badge and you're done, right? Like it's daily, (laughs) it's a daily commitment. Yeah.
0: This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today,
1: better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode.
0: you Touched on this a little bit. You have a podcast called the Counter Narrative Podcast and you speak on this topic and a lot of others, but for those who haven't had a chance to maybe listen to your podcast before, will you just kind of give a little background on what it is that you are speaking on and then also where the podcast came from?
1: Well, the the podcast stemmed from that that angry, the anger about those conversations. Mm -hmm. I just got really tired. You know, we, we sat in meeting after meeting after meeting. And it was, you know, the same story over and over. And the reality, and we talk about growth mindsets all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, how can you tell a group of individuals, you're the reason, right, w- the educational system is struggling and failing. You're the reason we're not catching up to other countries, but then expect you to go and do amazing things. Right. You, you you can't do both. Um, and then on the other side, um. so what really, I'll be honest, what really prompted it is that, I believe in opportunities, access to opportunities. And so I I jump on everything for my kids because otherwise they don't see these things. And so I signed them up for a rocket building competition. And they were so angry with me because I was putting them up against these massive schools with wealth and privilege. And I said, no, you go do your thing. You're going to be amazing. I believe in you, even though you don't, I do. Watch what happens. They came back. They were so excited. They had one third place right next year. I did it again. Now they were a little more like, "Yeah, it's, it's happening again." Yep, let's let's do it again. And this year, a group of my fifth grade young girls, uh, they they came back and they had won the whole thing. Hmm. And I remember I pushed it out to every news media that I could think of on the west side of Chicago to the major news outlets, and nothing. Nobody picked it up. Nobody talked about it. But let my team have won the basketball championship, right? Now everybody wants to talk about it. So we we talk about this. Narrative that is told about our students. Why can't they be, you know, uh, celebrated just as much for their academic prowess as they do on the court or on the field? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, enough's enough. I'm I'm launching this thing. I sat on it for years, and I just started to talk to educators from around the, the 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 country. I almost said world. I'm not there yet. Hopefully, you know, where we just say here's the reality, right? Let's counter the narrative about our students, and I'll be honest, when I went into it, it was really in that mindset of impoverished students, you know, black, brown students who who live in these communities. But during these conversations, I, I've come across all sorts of individuals talking about all sorts of students. Um, you know, we talked about rural education and how that mirrors urban education in many, many different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we talked about uh, body shaming and images uh, there's been a lot and I started venturing into this area, mostly because my own experiences with my own family, but around mental health. And so expanding that conversation to say, like, let's continue to change the narrative about all of these different groups of students, because each of them has that negative narrative that that stigmatizes them, yeah. right? And so it's like, no, let's tell that other story. Because the reality is, if you don't tell your story, someone else is. And, you know, I don't know who all listens to the show, you know, it's, I'm just trying to do my part. I know before the show started, you know, we kind of chuckled about me doing every single thing possible, but I recognize that my time here is going to be short. And so I am going to do as much as I possibly can within the short amount of time that I've given, you know, in education and on this earth, I'm just going to do everything I can. And so hopefully right? Burning is bright doesn't contribute to a burnout shorter, <laughs> but, but I'm like, there, there's just so much to do and I know my time is limited. And so that is why I'm trying to do everything I possibly can.
0: Yeah. So what he's talking about is I was, I was praising Charles for doing so many different projects. And I want to talk about another project that you're um, a part of, which is inside the principal's office. And that is a web series, but also a brand new book. So will you just talk about that project and I know you said your time is short and you want to do many, many things, but you're doing many great things. And and I applaud you for that. But um, I want to give the listeners just a a little taste of another project that you're doing. So inside the principal's office, what's that all about?
1: Sure. So uh, it's a web series. It's about a year old. Uh, The first official one was in February. Mm -hmm. So this is through school rubric. Uh, and it's me and my co-host, Michael McWilliams, who is a career principal out of Denton, Texas. Mike's been a principal for 20 plus years, which is like, wow. But what we're really trying to do is just create a safe space. You know, like a lot of times we talk about leadership is lonely. And my my idea is leadership is lonely only if you're doing it wrong. Right. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a safe space for leaders to come together, to learn, grow and connect um, and go out and lead, right? Uh, there are a plethora of opportunities for teachers to get together, conferences, PDs, workshops, you know, what whatever it may be. But there isn't a lot of spaces for leaders to come together and just to say, I'm struggling, right? I have a question. How are you doing this? How are you? And that is what we're trying to do. It's just a safe space to connect and to learn and to grow together. And that's it. And it just started off with a conversation, um, you know, just with some other leaders and now it's uh, you know it's blossomed. Um, you know we had a conference. Our, our our first conference was last summer down in down in Dallas. Um, you know where we invited leaders in. This year we're planning on doing it again and making it a little bigger. Hopefully COVID cooperates, okay. um, because <laughs> now we want other people to come in and speak. And and that's one of the things we talk about. You know we're facilitators. We are not like we're not housing this information. We're not the gatekeepers. We saw a need and we're just saying, let us connect you with this, right? Let's create this community of leaders. So it's the first and third Saturday of every single month. uh, And it's just that it's just leaders coming together and having conversations. And so feel free to join us, uh, you know, pop on YouTube, follow school rubric. Uh, If you're interested in being on the show let us know. We're, we're always looking for people. And I keep saying leader because it says inside the principal's office, but it doesn't have to be principals. Uh, You know, if you're a teacher leader, if you're uh, an instructional coach, if you're a superintendent, right, if you're a leader in any capacity, which we're all leaders, we we would love to have you. And then you're right. It it transformed into a book. So um, I want to say around April, May, like In a ridiculous amount of time, um, one of our guests, Rob Thornell, who does leadership training down in Texas, Uh uh, he said, hey, I have this idea for a book. And I think you guys will be an amazing group to write it with. And so we sat down in about four months, we turned out a book. Um, So it's uh, 40 weeks. And really, and the reason why it was so easy to do, well, one, there were three of us writing it. (laughs) That that helps. (laughs) But it's reflections. It's not you know, research based, you know, all sites. It was like, these are our own experiences as leaders. These are the lessons that we have learned over time. Um, I'm the baby of the group, right? Mac has 20 plus years, Rob has even more. And so it's designed to say, this is our, an experience we had, the lesson we learned. And then there's reflection questions. Focusing on various areas of leadership, servant leadership, telling your own story, things that we should do as leaders. And so you can sit down and read the whole thing if you want, or you could literally read one at a time and say, this is what I'm going to focus on this week. I'm going to journal and reflect. You, know, you asked me a couple of questions ago, right? Reflection's key. So we provided space in the book to do that. You know, the book is designed to be marked and marked up. You know, it's not pristine and just keep it clean. Like, no, mark it up, highlight it, take your notes, do whatever you need. And so, yeah, you can find it on Amazon and, you know, all over the place. Uh, Contact me if you want to sign one, of course. Uh, But now we're talking about having a volume two because to be honest, it was very difficult. We we were like, we got to come up with 40 stories and we're like, only 40? And so we're like, hey, this went a lot better than we had anticipated. And so now we're taking those additional lessons we've learned and put them down onto paper. And I guess maybe we'll keep doing it as long as we have lessons to share. And as long as there's an interest for the book, you know, it'll be like a, the land before time, like volume 79 or something. <laughs> yeah, those
0: movies keep coming out. <laughs> yeah, definitely check out the book and then the web series too. And is that on school rubric.com?
1: if you follow the school rubric on the social media pages like you'll find it so that's the best place follow them and so especially if you subscribe on youtube if you subscribe when we go live you know you'll get the alert and notice yeah. and yeah it's uh 10 a.m eastern standard time first and third saturday i'm big about like consistency mm-hmm. so <laughs> that way and we've had that conversation They're like do you want to do it th-? no we're doing it this week and so all the time 10 a.m first and third saturday you'll be able to find us.
0: Charles, I want to ask this question. I I do ask this in all of my podcast episodes for our aspiring or maybe current leaders. If there's something that they can do tomorrow or next week, what would you advise them to do to make sure that their leadership journey is is improving?
1: So I'm going to take a... I've been borrowing Brandon back. So if you don't know Brandon, definitely follow him. Um, But in his book, Unlocking Unlimited Potential, right, little plug for you, Brandon. He did not pay me to say that, (laughs) Uh, but there's, there's a section that has been extremely powerful and I've been utilizing it and duplicating it a lot. It's about writing your mission statement. So there there's a, there's power in understanding your purpose and your why, but there's even more in putting it down into words and having that purpose, having that mission statement and plastering it around. Right. Um, I've been doing this with my staff. Um, we did like mission impossible and then we crossed out M cause it's mission possible. Um, and we wrote them down on file folders, um, which we're now, they don't know this so If They're listening. They will. We're blowing them up into posters to put them in their rooms. Nice. Uh, you know, there was a chat on um, the culture ed chat the other night, which was Tis this season for your reason. So I stole that, right? That's what we do. Harry Wong told us it's okay. Um, so I made little ornaments and they they wrote on those ornaments, right? Like, what is my reason? Why do I show up every day besides the paycheck? Um, so again, it's it's figuring out your purpose, your why, and grounding yourself in that. So anybody who's listening to this, I don't know if this is going to hit the break. Um, but if, if breaks just over, it's okay, you still have time. Um, but if it is during the break, take some time to figure that out. What is your purpose? What is your why? And then write it down. And the reason I mentioned Brandon, it's because he created a nice little formula for that. Um, and I would tell you what the formula is, but then you wouldn't need the book. So go buy the book and find the formula. Uh, but still write it down, write it down and share it wherever. Because I think that's where that power lies. The more you share it, people can hold you accountable, one, right? But you, you begin to internalize it, right? And when, when people start asking, well, what did, what did, why do you do this? And you're like, uh, 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 like, internalize that thing. And when you become to internalize it, the actions, everything you do, it will become second nature and you will live in your purpose. And I guarantee you that will
0: change the course of your leadership journey. So, Charles, how can folks connect with you on social media?
1: What, what social media? No, I'm joking.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, man. I know you got it all.
1: <laughs> yeah, everywhere. Uh, so Twitter and Instagram, it's underscore CW Consulting. I, I used to be upset about the underscore. It is what it is. There's I the got web- two, so I understand. Yeah, right? Like somebody out there has it and they do nothing with it. Whatever. was like, whatever. <laughs> um, there, you can find me uh, through my website, CW Service, uh, dot com. uh I have a YouTube channel, which I play around on. Instagram and YouTube are play are my play areas. So if you come across me there, I don't know what you're going to find. But if you want to see some serious like reflections and thoughts about education, Twitter's the place. And I I'm serious. Connect with me. If you follow me one, I will follow you back, but I'm also there to connect. Mm -hmm. Hit me up, ask questions, join the conversations. Like I, I I love to talk about education. And so if you're ever curious, if you ever have a thought that you just want to bounce off, feel free. Um, Please come find me. Connect with me.
0: Yeah, Charles is a wealth of information. So connect with him on social media. Check out his amazing podcast, The Counter Narrative Podcast on the Teach Better Podcast Network. And of course, on Inside the Principal's Office, that's a web series. You can check that out on a school rubric and then the book. Make sure you pick that up on Amazon. So Charles, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Josh, thank you once again for having me. I I wish you the best in everything, and I look forward to connecting with you once again.